All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's time for the Wally and Thought Show presented by sportsinteraction.com. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Welcome to the Wally Mathot Show, brought to you by sportsinteraction.com. I'm Brent Wallace, and he is Mark Mathot, who would like to take this moment just to announce he's coming out of retirement to play for the Savannah Ghost Pirates of the East Coast Hockey League. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about Sean Avery right now with Orlando? <laughs> I saw yeah. that. It's, it's interesting because, and I'm not, I'm not shit-talking him by any means. Uh, like, I follow on Instagram. He's pretty funny. But, uh, like, I've watched some of the clips of him skating out there. And, it, I mean, he doesn't look like a 20-year-old, like, 20-year-old legs. You know what I mean? Like, it looked, he looked a little slower. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for him. I'm assuming it's not just a publicity stunt, right? Like, it's got to be legitimate. So, Oh, no. This know. is a total – stop it. This is a total publicity stunt. He hasn't played since January 27, 2012. That's 10 years ago in Connecticut. I know. So – so are like, cause you're going into the jungle. Like, so there's going to be guys that are going to want to fight them. Like, yeah. I just don't understand what that dynamic looks like right now, but I'm, I mean, I'm going to want to tune in. No, this is just, this is just to drive attention. I, he will play yeah, three but minutes. Would you not watch him? Two games. Would you? Oh, okay. Well, if you think he's only going to be there for, you know, like a, a cup of coffee and he won't play, he won't get any ice time. Then, then I, I probably wouldn't pay attention, but if he gets, if he plays, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game, I, I'm curious. Meth, if Sean Avery plays 10 to 12 minutes a game after not having played for 10 years, 
then that says a lot about the league. That's fair. I have no counter argument. So I don't want to watch the league then. <laughs> okay. Like right. I, so I will admit, I'll be interested to see his stat line after a game or two, but let's be serious. Like this is nonsense. Yeah. I mean, he still, he takes pretty good care of him. It's not the same thing, obviously. And I know when you're older, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're not going to have those young legs and, and certainly more likely to get injured. But I, I, I'm just you're saying, in, but you're in great between shape. all the theatrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You I don't can't, know. I, you can I, only I, turn one way. Yeah. Well, that's it. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, I don't want to give okay. him too much uh, attention here on the show. All right. Let's move on. Uh, sport, uh, the Wally Mathot show brought to you by sportsinteraction.com, Canada's online casino and sports book. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot for the most competitive live daily odds. Uh, so much going on that you can be betting on right now, but the Sens are taking a bit of a break. They've got the next three days off before they get back on the ice on Saturday, which we should see, by the way, Matt, our good friend Andrew Hammond take to the net. Uh, I would love oh, to see. Are, I would love to see Andrew are they Hammond playing, back in the net. I didn't Saturday. know that they were playing Montreal. They're playing Montreal yeah, in Ottawa. Nice. Is, Return yeah. of the burglar. Yeah, that's good great. for him, by the way. I mean, yeah. um, it's almost like our show gives these guys like this mojo. And I'm not just saying that, like, you know, this isn't bullshit. Look what happened to Holdy. Holden comes on. We, we talk with him a little bit. All of a sudden yeah. he's a goal scorer. So, yeah. you know, and, and I'm just uh, Alex Formington's been on fire. Yep. Yep. So yep. there's been some guys few. got hurt. <laughs> we we so, don't talk don't about those, man. <laughs> yeah. We'll cherry pick the right ones. Anyway, yeah, no, absolutely. that's good. Good, good to see burglar in town. We'll have to watch him. Yeah. Um, also in our show today is Cheryl Pounder, the two-time Olympic gold medalist. And of course, current TSN analyst yeah. uh, covering the sense game. That chat, by the way, brought to you by Whitewater Beer. Enjoy the cool, refreshing taste of Whitewater Beer for a Legion lager, farmer's daughter, high tide, whatever. You can mix and match all the samples. I was just there last week, had some great food. Um, and by the way, use the Wally Mathoc, not the Wally Mathoc coupon code. We changed it. It's the Wham Show coupon code. Get 15% off your order. They will deliver it to your house in the Ottawa area. Yes, if they will. Not, uh, stop in in Cobden and grab a bite and then grab a pint. Um, headlines, by the way. Here we go. So uh, let's, you know, I'm going to start with Thomas Shabbat. Uh, after the Minnesota game on Tuesday, I played his 300th career game. He's now four back of the lovely and talented Mark Mathot for all time on the Sens list. Uh, yep. He, he's, he looks a little different because maybe he hasn't played 30 minutes a night for nine straight games. <laughs> It's been dialed back and he looks like a much better player. Yeah. Yeah. And well, we want, and, and I think there's another little thing to add to that Wally, particularly with the game. Um, well, his big two goal game that he just yeah. had, I, I think he's paired with Artem Zoo. I mean, you know, you pair a competent defenseman and I know there were some quotes today and I know, I think it was Capuano that was saying that, um, you know, he, he compliments anybody he plays with, which of course we all agree is the case, but you want to maximize your all-star defenseman, right? You want to maximize his output as much as you can. And the only way to do that is to have him play with a competent D partner. So that was another little thing that I wanted to add is that, you know, lo and behold, he's playing with a really good defenseman now and, and he's playing less time in his own zone, spending more energy, being able to jump up into the play in the offensive zone. And, you know, he's not going to score two goals and get an assist every night, but, uh, um, I thought he looked terrific in that game. Uh, he's looked very good. His last 20 games, he's got uh, five goals, six assists, 11 points. The Sens, by the way, nine, eight, and three. And only four of those games yep. he played 30 or more minutes, right? And so yeah. you see, I think, the difference. Last night or uh, well, Tuesday night, I think, was 21 minutes, 24 minutes, somewhere in there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's his range. Like to me, his range is 25 minutes uh, and that's still a lot of ice time in this yeah. compressed schedule. But I think with the emergence of Nick Holden playing as well as he has been and stabilizing a second D pair with whoever he's playing, which is a huge compliment to Nick Holden. Um, that's allowed Capuano to be able to kind of manage Shabbat's minutes a little bit more. He's not feeling the need to just throw him out there every other shift. So you have at least a competent one-two punch now on D for, for the time being. I still think they need a top four. But for now, um, you know, getting Zaitsev out of that top four and leaving him on the third pairing, I think, has been a big change. I think it's helpful. And I think they need to continue to do that because it's just it's not working. I, and I'm sure he's a great, great guy, but he's had a million opportunities now to show what he can do out here, Wally. And I just... It's not working. It's I, I just don't see it anymore. Okay, a legit question, because and I'll bring this up every time. I didn't play over 600 games in the National Hockey League, so I'll defer to yeah. you. I watched him yeah. on Wednesday, I thought more than I've ever, or Tuesday, more than I've ever watched, and I thought he was okay. Like, I thought he was, maybe it's because he played a third D pairing that he was in the right role. He just looked comfortable to me. But again, yeah. I don't know the nuances or necessarily all the positioning that goes into it. Uh, Sure. I mean, there was some mistakes made by Ottawa defensively, but I didn't think he yeah. was horrendous by any stretch. Yeah, he was okay. Um, I guess because I'm just hyper-focused on the mistakes now. You yeah. know, with players, once they start, and it's like that when I played, uh, so I've seen it a, a ton. Once you start getting labeled as a guy that's making mistakes or you're going through a stretch where you're struggling, everyone's all of a sudden focused on that, and you tend to forget about the good stuff. Like, I was watching the game. Um, and, and I thought, you know, like I was really, there were some, still some glaring mistakes and it's always just chaos with him. I find, whereas when you watch a player like Artem Zoo, he's a little more, a little more relaxed. He's more competent with the puck. He's not wasting as much time. There's less turnovers. And then when you get Zaitsev back out there, I just find it gets, it's just chaos, you know, and, and it's not from a lack of trying or effort. Like he's working really hard, but he's not really accomplishing a whole lot. And then. He's not a very big guy either. Like, that's another thing I want to say. I mean, it's not like he can co compensate with size and range. So he's a smaller defensive-minded player that has to work very hard to complete those tasks. And, uh, you know, the physicality, as much as he's trying, he's not really bumping a whole lot of players off pucks. He's just sort of in survival mode all the time. And that's that's been my take on him. But, you know, Branstrom, I thought, has been playing fine. Holden's been really good. Zub's been terrific. Shabbat looked really good. So, I mean, it's okay right now. I still think they need to go after somebody, though, to round off that top four. Even if Sanderson comes in, I still think they're missing a piece. Okay, uh, you're making me jump to page two quickly. Uh, I'm going to bring Sorry, up. Wally. That's okay. We're going to break. go right to Artem Zub. Uh, I'm going to call this Artem Move um, because uh, <laughs> you've brought up his name enough. I, we got to drill down this. So Frank Saravalli, uh, I believe last week now, uh, made a comment when he's covering each team and about the Ottawa Senators pieces potentially on the move. And in it was yeah. Anton Forsberg, Nick Paul, Victor Mete, uh, and a few other guys who were all UFAs. And, and then, but Artem Zub's name is there and people in Ottawa kind of lost their shit a little. And, that, and so <laughs> I called Frank and I'm like, like, what are you doing? Like, are you just trying to rile up the fan base? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Artem Zub is a legend in Ottawa. Why on earth would you say his name? There's no way he's moving. He's like, what? I have no idea. Like, I didn't know that Artem Zub was like this legend. And I'm like, yes. So now you've made everybody mad. And he's like, all I yeah. can tell you is his name has been mentioned. So I'm going to put it to you about moving him. But I will say, like, 
names get mentioned all the time because obviously if sure. you're the GM at, for a Stanley Cup contending team and want a piece, you're going to call about Artem Zoo. So yeah, is there any chance, Mark Mathot, uh, that Pierre Dorian makes a move and trades Artem Zoo? Well, you just cleared it all up. Like, thankfully, you know, someone's got an inside track with Frank. I obviously don't. So um, that's good intel. And I think it, it just clears it up for everybody where it was just, and I think a lot of people sort of assume this after a while where, you know, there's going to be interest in a lot of players that are, you know, perhaps up at some point on their deals. And for and a lot of the insiders don't always realize that that's an untouchable player, right? I, I consider, I think a lot of us consider Artem Zub an untouchable guy. So is any player completely safe from being traded? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 you've seen some great players get moved, right? Like Wayne Gretzky can tr get traded, as I always say. Artem Zub can certainly get moved. But I think with Ottawa, I just don't see it. I don't see the benefit. Because, okay, maybe what? You get a first-round pick. I mean, for sure, at least a first-round pick. But then what? Then now you're stuck going after another top-four guy that you potentially have to give up a first rounder for anyway. So uh, it makes no sense for the Ottawa Senators to do it. Now, I'm not really competent when it comes to the numbers and the business side of it and collecting picks. I've never been in an administrative role or in the front office, so I don't really understand that. All I see is a really good player, and I don't understand why you would move him. It's not like he's on his last leg or he's in his mid-30s, so I'll leave it at that. I, I, you, do, you can't get rid of a, a top-four defenseman right now on a rebuild who's in his mid-20s. Okay, but here's the other issue, and it's the business side. And we know too well about the budgets that constrain the Ottawa Senators. So sure. Artem yeah. Zub will play next year at $2.5 Followed that, he's a UFA. There is concern, yeah. and Frank and I talked about this, that they might think that one of the reasons they're talking about maybe moving Artem Zub is they're not sure that they can re-sign him for the dollar amounts they want to get him at. <laughs> I mean, and if that's you... the case, yeah, but what if he wants five, like I don't, I'm just picking a number. Give it what to him. Want six million. Give it to him. I mean, you got to understand if what's the, whatever the market is for his comparables, which I'm assuming is anywhere between lowballing four and 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 high end five million. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a number. It's a top pairing defenseman. So uh, if you're delusional and think that you can just leave it, like look what this team will look like depth wise if you lose a player like Artem Zub on the back end. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, defensively it'll be a nightmare. And I'm sure if you're, you know, you're coming out of this so-called rebuild, I would understand if this is a team full of older players and you just can't retain them, yada, yada, yada. But this, this, let's be honest here. Like I, I think the team loses a little bit of credibility if you don't resign this player, I, you know, Nick Paul, there's an argument. Sure. I, I understand both sides. So I can't be too critical of the team there. You want to make sure it's the right dollar signs. And you know, he doesn't, his identity as far as where he belongs on the team depth chart is sort of in question, right? He, is he a second line guy? Is he a third line guy? What are you willing to pay? But, but, but in Artem Zub's case, it's definitive. Like, you know, he's a top two pairing. He's top four defenseman. I mean, I was making almost 5 million on the, on my deal. And Eric was making whatever he was making. You can't just have one player at, and by the way, Thomas Shabbat is a steal right now. It's not like you're overpaying yeah. for Thomas yeah. Shabbat either. So like, I, like I said, you lose credibility if you trade him. That's my stance on it. Okay, so let me be devil's advocate here. And that is, we talked about Artem Zub two years ago. We had no idea who he was. Now we talk like sure. he's this untouchable, the greatest defenseman to ever lace up the Ottawa Senator skates and that we can't be yeah. moved. Like, is there some point here we're overselling the play of Artem Zub? Can't we just go out and find another one? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say he's the best defensive D-man this team's ever had. There's certainly <laughs> been a few of us. I'm have... being facetious, um, but I'm just yeah. Kidding. That was a joke. No, I know. So am I. I'm kidding. Um, no, I think I think he's just he's been such a pleasant surprise because he doesn't make any mistakes. Like his reads are always on point. He's always like and and furthermore, like like how do I word this properly? He's not a very big guy, you know. Like like they don't have a lot of physicality he back there. He looks like Nikita Zaitsev to me. Yeah, but he's very side. strong. He's just got that wiry strength. And in today's NHL, it's not as the players aren't necessarily those big lumbering guys that they were even five, six, seven years ago. It's a, it's evolving, right? It's about speed. He's a very good skater. He moves the puck very well. I'm not going to get into everything he's good at. We all know he's yeah. a very competent defenseman. But, I mean, man, it's just – I think people are just so pleasantly surprised because there's been a few seasons now where we've been kind of lacking this type of player, and now they finally have one. He's affordable. And he's still relatively young with some mileage, you know, left in his tank. So uh, I don't know I can keep going on and on, but don't no, do no. not move Artem Zub. You know, I saw uh, last night. I think it's the third period where he takes the puck from his blue line to the other blue line, and he's got the. It's like a rush, and everybody's all excited. And I, I just I could envision you. And basically, I felt like it was you skating through the middle of the ice because nobody expected it. Yeah, well, it surprises people, right? And He'll, you know, he'll really get recognized for a strong play when they have him with a guy like Shabbat because he's going to play more minutes. Um, he's an excellent complimentary player for Thomas Shabbat, who is a perennial all-star, in my opinion. So that's his role. And that's where you need to capitalize on a play like Artem Zub. So I'd love it. And, and this all stems back to like what I mentioned earlier, Nick Holden all of a sudden, and he's always been very good. Like he's a competent yeah. defenseman. He's very serviceable, but he's elevated his game again. And all of a sudden now that he's stabilized that second pairing, you've given the opportunity back to Artem Zub to get back onto that top line, elevating his, his responsibility, playing with Thomas Shabbat, which is his role on this team. So I think we started a couple weeks ago, and it may be, be only be a couple games, excuse me, is you said don't break up Holden and Zub uh, because they couldn't figure out a pairing for Shabbat. Are yeah. you okay uh now? Just leave Zub with Shabbat and deal with yeah, everything because, else that happens afterwards. Yes, because now I'm realizing that Holden can do that job as well. Like at first you think, okay, you know, Artem Zub will stabilize Holden a little bit. And I'm, I'm reluctant to even say that. And that's not a slight at Holdy. You just, I haven't seen him play a ton as of late. And I was well aware of what Artem Zub could do. But now that I know that Nick Holden can compliment just about anybody with the way he plays, he's so calming. He doesn't panic. That's great. So now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable with Nick Holden playing with whoever I'd like to have a consistent, I'd like to see a consistent partner with him. I wish it was Brandstrom. I wish you could just put Brandstrom there all the time. I just don't know that that works. Like when you're seeing him play against heavier teams, he struggles a little bit. So I don't know who the right partner for that position with Holden is on the second pairing. Uh, it's going to continue to be a revolving door, but in the end, my final point and conclusion, to all this is that I'm happy that, DJ and Capuano have decided to put Zub up there with Shabbat again. You got to maximize that output of Thomas Shabbat. And you just can't do that with anybody else. Uh, by the way, uh, Nick Holden has three goals in the month of February. As of right now, that's 11 games. And that's the third most yeah. on the team behind Kachuk and uh, Tim Stutzla. Um, mm -hmm. There is one other note, Michael Delzato, which we don't talk about very much. And there's a trade deadline approaches. I understand yeah. perhaps there isn't a spot for him on this roster, but he has 19 points in 17 games in Belleville. I think he's either fifth or sixth in scoring mm -hmm. there. He's, this is an interesting piece to me. I don't know that you can, 
I don't know what you move them for if you can move them, but there's got to be a team that will take on next year's $2 million cap hit at, add some depth at the deadline here with Michael Delzato. I got to yeah. feel like there's got to be a spot for him somewhere based on the number he's numbers he's putting up. Yeah. He's play, he's so he's doing his job like that. And, and that's, you know, that's a hat tip or stick tap, however you want to say it to Michael Delzato. I mean, to go down there into the American league as an established NHL player who's been around the league for a long time, it's easy to kind of lose sight of your goals and it's easy to start pouting and get upset and mad and blame other people. Instead, he's gone down there and he's put his nose down and worked really hard. And um, you got to think that he'll probably get rewarded for that. Um, you mentioned teams potentially looking for depth on defense. That's what I'm thinking too, Wally. I mean, if you're a team making a push right now and you're concerned with potential injuries, or maybe you're a little, yep. a little thin after your five, six, that's a guy to have in there that, you know, can jump in and at least be serviceable. I question the foot speed a little bit if I'm being critical. Um, but again, as, as a player that can jump in for, you know, to replace a player due to injury as a depth, a depth guy, I'm okay with it. And, and like I said, I can't stress this enough. Good to see Michael Delzato do what he's doing now. And that's huge for some of the players down there too. to have a leader like that, go down there and help kind of teach and work with the younger players is always a big bonus for an organization. And I know this is a long time ago, but it reminds me of Wade Redden goes to the minors, yeah. ends up going to Boston yeah. who are trying to win a Stanley cup. And he's a depth guy. You've got Wade Redden yeah. potentially as a guy that can fill in. So I, I got to think that there's a spot for Michael Delzato somewhere uh, in Agreed. this upcoming next month here, as they get closer to the trade deadline. Um, yeah. By the way, t I'll make this quick. I know Craig is going to lose his mind with us talking so long. Uh, one of the reasons I think this blue line looks so good might very well be the goaltending has been pretty good of late. That helps. Uh, yeah. And so there's a lot of question marks. So let's just, I'll give you the last 10 days. By the way, they played 16 games in 10 days. We haven't even mentioned Colin White returning. Um, 16 games in 10 days. They have given up 36 shots against, which is the most in the National Hockey League. But they have a 936 save percentage and a 230 goals against average. That's a, mm. that's a team um, stat. Like Anton Forsberg is a UFA, meth. He has yeah. 11 of the team's 19 wins this season. I understand Philip Gustafson's on a one-way deal next year. Are you willing to give up on Anton Forsberg because you have Gustafson on a one-way deal? Yeah. <clears throat> and mm. this might be a little bit of recency bias too, right? Like, because, and I'm always reluctant to go there because a player might be playing very well and all of a sudden we're jumping through hoops to defend him. Right. But I mean, for, for, a, for a backup, so he's not a starter. He's a backup goaltender, but, but he's a good backup player. Like his numbers back it up, right? Like if you're looking yep. at his numbers this season, despite some soft goals in the, in the, you know, in the little, I don't know, what was it a month or two ago where there were, he had a couple stretch of games there yep. or a small stretch of games that he didn't look very good. He was a little shaky. I, listen, but I don't think he was great last, I don't, uh, Tuesday night against Minnesota. I don't think he was outstanding. I know, but right? he doesn't need to be right. Like just if he plays big, I'm agreeing with you, by the way, if he plays yeah. big and he's able to give you an opportunity to win a game, especially as a backup, he's done his job. You just you want know, like wins. It's not his job to be your starter, right? He's not getting paid starter money. That's Matt Murray. Who's making 5 million or whatever it is. So would I sign him? Yes, but it depends what he's asking for. Like, I don't know what his camp's looking for well, right now. He's an older, he's older. Like, what is he? Is he 30 yet? I don't know what, it, how old he is. He's, but yeah. just like, he only makes 900 K and he was a waiver pickup gonna, at one point. He's not going to ask for a lot of money. He might be looking for 2 million. He might be. 
with his it's, numbers, his age, his age, his agent will have okay. this, this sheet, it's, right? The spreadsheet and be like, look. Yeah. Yeah. Is 2 million a lot for your backup goaltender? I don't think so. I don't think so, but it might be for the Ottawa senators right now. The like, issue we don't is know, Gustafson. right? Do well, you think Philip you know Gustafson is going to be a backup goaltender? Okay. So Craig, Craig, Craig is so good. He's just confirmed that he's 29 years old. So shout out to Craig. Um, so at that age, which is, which is really important to know this. I mean, at that age, you got to think that if you're, if you're Ottawa, you'd be reluctant to give him too much term. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and if you're Forsberg, you certainly want a little bit of job security. You're looking for term. So it depends what he's asking for. But if the ask is, you know, maybe a two-year deal at one and a half, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not the one paying him, but to me, that seems reasonable for a good backup, okay. competent backup goaltender. But then you're right. What happens to Gustafson? I, the goalie stuff, man, I never understand it because, you know, are you willing to have a guy like Gus play in the American league? And then maybe you lose him on waivers. Maybe you don't, maybe he's your number one in you know, making a million in, or 900 grand in, in Belleville. I don't know. Okay. But I don't okay. know the answer. Uh, by the way, there's a quote from uh, Pierre Dorian in uh, Pierre Lebrun's athletic article last week, quote, yeah. Anton has been very good for us when he's been in the net and we'll just see if anything comes in the next few months with him. So it looks like obviously they're going to entertain offers, but yeah. Here's what I would do. I would go into camp next year with both of those guys signed, as in Forsberg and Gustafson, see which one starts to play better and risk losing the other guy. You already picked up yeah. Gust, uh, Forsberg off waivers to begin with. You're, you're willing to risk losing him because he wasn't part of your plan two years ago. He was a yeah. stopgap. I think that you – do you think Philip Gustafson is the future number one in Ottawa? That's the question, and I'm not sure he is. Mm. No, I don't. I honestly don't. And I mean, with the way Matt, Mur the only issue with Matt Murray is the health thing. Now, granted, he's just had a baby, so I'm not going to go there. That's I, we all know how difficult that is. But, but the injuries, the prior injuries, is always going to be a concern. Is him mm -hmm. being healthy, especially if you're if he's your number one guy, and that matters because if you view him as your number one guy, then there's your answer. And then maybe you just sign Forsberg. And you have the option going into camp next year, but that's the easy thing to say, right? We don't know yeah. the internal budgets of the team and what they're willing to move on. So when it comes to the goalie stuff, Wally, I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. All I know is that I like Forsberg's play and I'd be scared to lose him because we all know goalies develop much later than players do. Yes. And he's right at that age where goalies start to figure it out a little bit. Usually it's around 28. I, I want to say, but he's right. He's hovering there at 29. He might, might be a big loss if you move him, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with Gustafson, who might struggle mightily next season. We don't know. It'll be interesting to watch it play out. Uh, it just – I get not I'm, fears, but there are issues. Like, you look at – they signed Mike Condon. They signed Andrew Hammond to these I know. big backup deals. I know. Both of them end up with injuries. Uh, it could just – it didn't pan out very well, well right? And so does we should get again? We should get Zach Burke – get Zach Burke on the show and talk to him, see what he thinks. I'll, I'll – I'll let you know when they agree to that. Um, <laughs> I have last question. Cause you brought him up uh, quickly and I'll, then we'll move on to our Cheryl Pounder interview. That is Nick Paul. So yeah. Are you pending UFA? This is the, of all the question marks and I all due respect to Anton Forsberg. This to me is the interesting one because Nick Paul seems to, as we all say, can do it all. He, he has the utmost respect from the organization he's probably not going to ask a lot, but he's going to ask for term more than I would think anything. He wants to stay here. 
you're right. I don't know where he fits in the lineup. So he can today, he could be a second line center and tomorrow he could be the fourth line winger. How do you see this? Is Nick Paul going to be here after the trade deadline? Mark Mathot, Matt Stradamus. Yeah. I, I don't I, I would like to see the team extend him. Um, a really good, I'm reluctant to call him a role player because he can play on your second line if you need him to. I like him as a third line guy. Um, with Nick Paul, it's interesting because I'm a huge fan of his. I, I wish I wish he was a little more physical. Um, now, I know that's a bit of a mindset, and I'm not saying he needs to fight all the time or anything like that. I certainly never did. But I played very physical, and I tried to bully guys when I had to because that's that was a strength of mine, right? I wish he did more of that. I think physically he could be more of a force. He's such a physical freak out there. He moves pretty well for his size. He could really impose his will on players. I'd like to see him do more of that, but that's besides the point. That's just sort of my assessment on his play right now. But if I'm Ottawa, Wally, I, I, I what like what are you looking at as far as term goes? Like maybe a three or four year deal at just under three million? Would he sign that? Like I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he's looking for. I honestly don't. But I, I, I know, and I've said this before. You move a guy like Nick Paul, you're going to be looking for a guy like Nick Paul down the road. Like that's that's a role player that, and those guys, Wally. Those guys are always the guys that just seem to step it up in the postseason. Those big players that can actually play um, always seem to be very clutch in the postseason. I, it's just the way it is. It's always like that. It's always yep. and a lot of your top end, high end skilled guys, oftentimes will struggle here and there because there's a lot of attention towards those guys in particular. You know, you're, they're going to be facing a lot of your uh, a lot of the top uh, pairing guys, a lot of the shutdown players on other teams. Whereas your depth guys like Nick Paul that have that sneaky clutch factor to them can really step up their play. So I, I'd hate to see a team lose like a player like Nick Paul, just because I know how effective they could be. We saw it at the world championships, prime how, example, where they just elevate their play when it, when it matters. How many times have you seen the playoffs and the broadcasters all talk and rave about third line guys who get all the attention come playoff time, Zach Smith and, and Pajot, all these guys yeah. that yeah. just, they all season long, just, they just, waddle through and then boom once the playoffs start you see these guys look at the, the yeah, Bruins it, was a perfect example exactly and 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 you're right and I shouldn't put so much emphasis on the size I only said that because he is a huge man yeah but but as you said like like look at Peugeot those are guys that just seem to play well under pressure we know Nick Paul can do that we've seen him same with Connor Brown that's another guy like that they just elevate their play when it matters most so I really can't stress that enough. And I don't want to keep, I said this earlier, I'm just going to say the same thing now with this rant I'm on. <laughs> just get it done. Get it done. I mean, you want to build a competitive team here. You need these glue guys, these chemistry guys in your team that also happen to be very good hockey players. Like I just, and again, I, I know I'm not on the business side of it, but just collecting all these picks, I understand it's important for building a, a team moving forward, but you've got a lot of these young players in place now. You've got all your pieces in place. You've got more pieces coming in more young guys pinto is going to be coming back of course sanderson's going to be coming in clemens going to be coming in you've got a lot of really good young players you've got uh that uh, ridley guy coming in who's really good how do you say is it greg ridley, ridley greg greg yeah okay i've been watching him he looks fantastic too i've been watching highlights of him so there's a lot of really good pieces you don't have to worry about hoarding a ton of picks now nick paul's a crucial guy on this team that they need to get done uh, by the way, Colin White set to make his season debut uh, Saturday against yeah. Montreal. So good to see him back. It looks like he's going to yeah. possibly center the fourth line. Also just returning, uh, and I know I said we were going to move on, is 
Thomas Shabbat made his Craig, return. Craig's rattled right now. <laughs> Three. So he plays his 300th game, uh, scores yeah. two goals. I, I just want you as a defenseman quickly to tell me what. So when he got hit by Tom Wilson and was out for four games, exactly what happened? Like, is he just got, uh, is he just a bruised chest? Or is it worse than that? For him to miss four games seems like a long time. Yeah, but they called it a lower body injury, I think, right? Was that ruled a lower body? Am I wrong? I'm pretty sure. Anyway, my point is, it could be anything. He could have fallen awkward. Yeah. It could have knocked the wind out of him, but and then maybe bruised a rib or or something. Or like, it could be anything. But the point is, and, and DJ touched on that on the game day uh, against Minnesota in the morning after the morning skate. He was saying how like people don't understand how much Thomas Shabbat has been playing through. Like he's he's a tough he's a tough bastard. Like he's been playing through a ton of stuff. Um, and that's a huge, what a, what a high praise from your coach when he's telling you that, you know, he's telling the, the public that you're, you know, you're playing through tons of injuries, which coaches rarely ever do. So, um, Shabbat is obviously a warrior. He plays so many minutes. You got to imagine the bumps and bruises he's playing through to, you know, at that pace with that much ice time. So, um, you know, probably needed a reset. I'm sure that they were thinking, you know what? We desperately need this guy in our lineup, but it probably won't hurt him to be out for a couple games just to reset, get a little healthier, then come back. I'm sure he had other lingering things too. So I'm not going to deep dive into that because I can only assume what happened. But, um, you know, and that's, you mentioned the Tom Wilson. And I mean, that's the thing where, you know, you've got some more physical guys in your lineup. Maybe it doesn't happen, but that's, you know, a tinfoil hat moment. So I'm not going to get into that. But I, those are the players you need to protect. And I hate seeing a star player like Shabbat get hurt. Uh, the Minnesota game, by the way, the first time uh, in franchise history that Shabbat, Stutzla, and Kachuk all scored. Um, yep. Those are the headlines, and I'm into page three, Craig. Uh, that brought to you by BEI, Bonisher Excavating Inc. Bonisher Excavating specializes in grading, drainage projects, also equipment rentals, aggregate, and topsoil sales. Also, if you're planning to have your driveway redone, or I guess laneway, depending on who we say, uh, if you're having it done this year, give them a call. Uh, visit BonisherExcavating.com. Coming up after the break. Uh, brought to you by Whitewater is the chat with Cheryl Pounder. It's fantastic. We dive into more Artem Zub stuff, a uh, lot more D. And of course, we're going to talk about the women's game at the Olympics. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're watching the volume without Cheryl. Uh, please be joined now in our Whitewater chat is two-time Olympic gold medalist and the voice of everything it seems to be on TSN Hockey these days, Cheryl Pounder. Welcome to this show. Again. Uh, hi, guys. How's it going? Well, Matt is great because he's got tan lines and everything. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was kind of yeah, hoping we would see the Matt. I, I was kind of hoping that, uh, you know, you'd bear off. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, it wasn't a nudist resort, but so I do have slight tan lines in that area, but otherwise really good tan. <laughs> I didn't burn once. I was laying 60 on all week good and um, it worked out in my favor. That's awesome. I'm comfy too. So we're all good here. We're all good. <laughs> well, we'll switch from no lines, the sand to the ice. Uh, Cause I want to talk about women's hockey, which is the most viewed uh, sport there was at the Olympics over uh, 2.8 million viewers from Canada tuned in to watch the women's gold medal game. It's very near and dear to your heart. Obviously it goes back 20 years this week. You won the gold medal in Salt Lake City. I don't want to age you. I know that's not, but it certainly it was a huge what are you moment. Talking about? <laughs> and I'm still older, I look so the it's same. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Is uh, yeah. well, let's go to Canada winning this gold medal and what it means. We can talk about Marie Philippe Poulain in a bit, but uh, on a whole, the, a without the men anywhere near a medal, this became a huge 
thing for Canada to watch. And I'm going to assume just on that alone, uh, the exposure it gave to women's hockey uh, is almost priceless. It really is. And I'm glad you mentioned the 20 years ago picture because I was 15 when we won. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's incredible though to, to watch these women and the visibility. And it's always interesting because every four years, right? It's every four years, there's all of these eyeballs on the women's game and everyone's talking about the speed and the skill. And I, I think a lot of people aren't aware of the adversity they've been through over the last three years in particular with their league being shut down back in 2019. And then of course, through the pandemic, different shutdowns and cancellations through the world championship and what these women have actually gone through to stay on the ice. And they're actually talking about their fitness, how it increased during this time, because as individuals and within the program, they took it upon themselves to find ways to grow whether it be from their mental aspect of their game, but also from the physical conditioning. Mm -hmm. And so for them to actually get there and after bubbling, living in hotel rooms uh, the last month, not playing any games, getting on that plane, not sure of whether they were going to test on the other side of it and how it would all look and finding a way to, to book, put the best product I've ever seen on the ice together in Beijing throughout all of this. It was absolutely incredible. I did well up, I'm not gonna lie, when they won. <laughs> I was supposed to be impartial, but it was more about that that energy that's jumping through the TV and a big reminder of when I first started uh, in my first Olympic Winter Games. But this team honestly takes the cake and, and I really believe they're the greatest team of all time. And, and I say that um, very openly because played for a number of great teams with phenomenal athletes, but this team in the lightness um, and the creativity they played with, I think it was pretty evident in their ozone time and the way they put the puck in the net. CP, I just wanted to interject just once there with regards, like I'm assuming you know, obviously a bunch of the girls still on the team. Yeah. Did, did anybody have any like funny quirks with regards to the experience heading over there or any of the weird sort of, uh, uh, I guess, protocols that they had to go through? Like, were there any interesting tidbits there? Well, it's interesting. I haven't spoken to them since they've been back, but one of the the, the fun things, well, not fun at the time, wearing those uh, those masks during that ROC game oh, right. when they had to go out there and they talked afterwards about, you know what, again, you know, throw another thing at us, why don't you, <laughs> right? And, and that's kind of the approach they took. It was like, yeah, all right, so now we're wearing masks, like, and, and you know, those masks, I mean, I, I I, I wear one to get my kids skate sharpened today and I was bitching about it. Right. And yeah. I, you know, I did it, but I mean, because of the way you breathe and I'm thinking, you know, these athletes are breathing heavily uh, and, and they just did it. And I think beyond, you know, getting there and different moments about having to sit apart in a cafeteria. So, you know, in the past, when you get to the cafeteria, you get to the Olympic village, it's, it's like the, a mini world that is is all under one umbrella and you have that opportunity to kind of um, converse with other teams, mm. not not every team, not every team, <laughs> uh, but, you know, and find ways to interact. And, and it was yeah. funny to, to watch them having plexiglass between them and the way they would sit. But, you know, the way they still came out, it was almost like they created their own family there because obviously their family wasn't there. And I think that's one of the great takeaways of this is that they were a real team that expressed that throughout it all. But certainly the masks during the, the that one particular game, the whole game um, is something that they talked about. Was doing that gold medal game for you as the analyst, one of the toughest things you've done only because here you are, <laughs> you've played in it. This is a gold medal. Like it's USA, Canada. I can't imagine the range of emotion. How do you, did you find it hard to separate from the player to the just the impartial analyst 
Or did you well, I'm glad care? I've been in it for a little bit longer than just walking off of, uh, you know, out of the out of the Team Canada jersey and, and into the booth. I think I've had a little bit of time to process and and been in the booth before. Certainly, I mean, my emotions, I had my adrenaline going. You know, you can feel it's Olympic gold medal final. I mean, we had plexiglass between Muddy and I, and I nearly knocked it over about 10 times with my elbows. I was moving with the game. Like, you know, I was right into it. And I think Brian was like, pounder like okay okay settle down but you know I think you really just want to do the game justice mm. and both teams are unbelievable the athletes and the work that they put into it they're they're the two superpowers in hockey and in, in women's hockey um and they were showcasing their talents and skill on the ice so my job was to analyze it to the best of my ability um and, and do it for both teams you know at times I felt that uh, you know, the Canadians were on their heels and, and the Americans were pressing at times. I thought the bench management on the U.S. wasn't great. And and so on the other side of things, when Canada was being offensive and playing with creativity versus a couple moments where they might have hesitated. So I feel like it's just, it, it, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're present, if that makes sense, um, so that mm -hmm. you're, you're doing the best job that you can, because really it's about, um, you know, being real and authentic for both sides. So did you get did you get any nasty tweets or anything from me perhaps being accused of being partial to one side or Oh, I got a couple just saying, you know, you why are why why were you uh um endorsing the Americans at different times, which is interesting. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I just don't understand why he's not playing these players. Like he's been playing six players all game. You want yeah. me to not talk? Um but yeah, so, you, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of that. But on the other side of it, you, you know, because I played for Canada, yeah. I think you have to also be mindful of, you know, not getting too emotionally attached. So so just taking a breath and reminding myself of that prior to and just enjoying it from. A, and, you know, Matt, like being in the broadcast, booth, you just you, you're present, you're enjoying it, you're passionate mm -hmm. about it. And it's the game of hockey. So that's what you're talking about. You're talking about what you see, which is a little bit different off of the television screen as opposed to being there. Yeah. Um, but again, it was still it was just I was very grateful for the opportunity to be to be able to be in the booth. Um, but it's certainly the emotions came back when uh, when they were all getting their gold medals. And I, I, I I'm not going to lie, you know, that that inner that inner little girl with the dream uh, choked up on me uh, as I thought about my own daughters watching the game and right. staying up way too late. Good for you. <laughs> uh, is there because most of the U.S. Canadian players know each other pretty well. They, I mean, they face each other enough, but they also go to some of the same schools. They're around each other. Is there is there that much animosity or is it played up? Uh, just to build a little bit of intrigue going into the final. How should I answer this? <laughs> when when we played back when I was playing, and I do say back, I remember you never knew how your coaches felt about it. So you'd kind of, you, you'd see them, uh, you know, some of them played with some of the athletes on our team because I, I stayed in Canada. But, um, and I remember getting into the elevator and being like, can I say hi? Like, am I allowed to say hi? Coach is right there. Am I allowed to say hi? You know? Um, so I feel like there's always been a rivalry when, when you step on the ice um, and you're playing against your biggest competitor. It wouldn't matter if it was your sister, right? Or your brother or whatever, mm. you, you try and take them down. And I feel like it's, it's the same sense of rivalry, but I do believe there's a very healthy respect um, for the work that's been put in to get to that level. And also, you know, they have, um, a great feat ahead of them in terms of both teams and trying to grow the game. So I think they're, they're connected that way. Um, but again, I think anytime 
they step on the ice. That rivalry is very real and um, it's heated. Uh, when you see Poulin and Decker get to a face-off circle, um, you know that both of these are, are, are leaders on their teams and they just want to win for their, their country. So, but you walk away from the ice and you see Hillary Knight and Poulin, you know, you know, embracing um, over the last few years in the journey to get there because you, you, you've been on both sides and you know what it feels like, but sure feels good to win. <laughs> yeah. And CP, you talked about that journey in, in earlier when you were discussing or rather telling us about how there was, um, you know, over those three years, just difficult even to get ice time and work out and yeah. train. How do they manage that? Like who's, who's paying for the ice time and who's paying for the training? Like th those are stuff that I always wonder about, especially when you're not, when you're not doing anything. Well, I think Hockey Canada and Gina Kingsbury, who's sort of at the helm of Hockey Canada for the women's program right now, has really done a fantastic job of trying to stay connected with the group. Yeah. So whether it's small groups training together throughout this time, and then of course the PWHPA has kept them on the ice during Dream Gap tours, but again, not a not a ton of games to be able to play, getting right. ready for that Olympic moment. But they did centralize. Again, centralization just for, for some of the viewers or listeners is more of a, a process where you come together you train full time as you vie for a spot on the team. So there were 29 athletes that uh, moved to Calgary to train full time um, mm. from August on uh, so that they had that opportunity to get together as well. And that's, that's normal in an Olympic year, yeah. but because the world championships were in August, it just changed everything. And so right. the ability, and I, I know everyone hates the word pivot in this time because <laughs> we just, let's face it, we've been asked to do it too much but that's exactly what they had to do right. and adapt. So it was constantly changing. I mean, listen guys, their last rivalry series games against the US got canceled uh, because of COVID. And then the next thing you know, they were into January and they had to cancel all of their games. So none of this was on the slate. None, none of this was on the docket, but they just had to find ways to push through. And that's essentially what they've done over the last three years. But yeah, the separate group, the training in, in different cities um, certainly kept them on the ice. And, and Gina was really pivotal in that. Uh, I just want to come back to the rivalry for a sec, because it always leads back to me, Haley Wickenheiser's post game from the gold medal game uh, as about stepping on the flag. They were stepping on our flag in there. Do you want us to sign it? All that. Uh, any part of like, uh, can you take me through this incident? Because there are debates whether or not it's real. Uh, but what was being said in the locker room prior to the game? Oh boy. How, do you have the opportunity to beep out anything that I say here? <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll let Craig do that. Are you? Yeah. yeah pounder potty mouth is going to come out. No. Um, when, when we were told that, you know, the Americans had their flag, our flag on the floor, we had felt that it was real. Um, and in fact, it was not. So if you know, Cami Granado and, and the respect that she has as the leader of that team, um, and she, when she said afterwards, it did not happen. I 100% I believe that it mm. did not happen. But at the time, let's go back to at the time. Yep. And yep. you're in a room, you haven't beaten the Americans in eight straight games leading into the Olympics. You're trying to grab anything you can and use it, you know, in a positive manner for yourself. And, uh, you know, we, we held on to that and it was kind of like, no one puts our... <laughs> <laughs> on the floor uh and you know we went out there really heated and animated of course and Haley if if anyone knows Haley personally you will know that she is one intense and competitive individual a reason why she was you know the best in the world and 
she just grabbed on Sherry. I'll never forget it. She, she went on like, Dawn, I am, I want the, I want the mic. And, uh, you know, she often says today, you know, it's not her greatest moment because she knows it did not happen now either. But at the time it was just one of those, one of those moments where your emotion gets the better of you and celebrating an Olympic gold medal that coming off of a, a loss in 98, I think the emotion was incredibly high, but you use all of that stuff. The lucky movie sure. was at center ice. Like I mean, I love it. I love it. Anything for Um, motivation. Yeah. And, and again, you know, all the respect to the Americans, like they did not do it, but I remember the lucky loony guys, like the lucky loony. I will never forget finding it, finding out it was there. And we scored five unanswered goals to make it to the Olympic final in 2002, because we were losing to Finland in the semifinal. And after the final game in, in 02, we knew it was there. And I remember coming back on the ice, literally, and like staring at it and I'm making snow angels over it. Okay. I'm in my late twenties. I'm making snow angels over this thing. <laughs> like I'm kissing it. I got married and I put a lucky loony inside a cookie for every guest that came to my wedding. Okay. <laughs> so let's just, let's just say I was a little charged up. And so I'm making so snow angels over it. Yes. I had a beer in my hand. We all do. Uh, and uh, I remember there was a phone call from the press box down to the ice. And we're like, who is it? Like, whatever, we're staying here. And it was Wayne Gretzky. And he had called down to the ice because he's like, get the girls away from center ice. And we're like, what are you talking about? We're staying here. You know, we're, you know, we're in our moment. It's like, no, if they find out it's there, they'll take it out. We oh. need it <laughs> the next day. So again, it became this whole, you know, vibrancy around the lucky loony and irony in 06 our equipment manager brought a lucky loony and put it under our post because there was no way the Italians were going to allow a loony to be in the ice. So he got strategic and he put one under our post. So anyway, each game, how do you I'll do take that? a breath now? Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> I, I've never heard this. I, I don't think yeah, I've ever heard this. This story. is news to me as well. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I mean, listen, if I'm wrong, it's because it's all a blur right now, but uh, <laughs> it, it went something like that. Okay. Mm. It was something along those lines and it, it was just rallying around positivity. And I think that's what the Olympics do beyond the sport. Um, it's just the hope and inspiration uh, that comes out of it. It's beyond the wins and all of that stuff. It's the stories that we gravitate to. And it's those kind of stories that now we laugh and and um, we're connected by. And when 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 the pictures went out from 20 years ago, and we're hugging and we're crying, and I cried for about two weeks. I kid you not. Um, those are the, those are the memories that come back. Is just you know the, the the ones that connected you in those moments, and and that those were certainly connectors. Uh, you've seen it all pretty much. So there's always a debate over who the best player is of all time and all that. And we've now seen. Marie Philippe Poulin score four gold or four uh, goals in four straight gold medal games. Is she the best player? And it's tough to compare because the game obviously changes from back in 2000 and earlier with, and all that stuff. But where do you put her? Don't deflect either CP. Okay. <laughs> They're not all good. I want one. We want one answer. <laughs> so am I getting more beer out of this or what? No, I'm <laughs> yeah, yes. um, which Depends by on the, the way, I drank them all. They were lovely. Good. Um, she is the best. Uh, Poulin is, there's something different about Poulin. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, when you talk about Haley Wickenheiser, I played with her. So for me to be able to say this out loud, it takes a lot. Mm. And Poulin, though, when you talk about her ability to deliver, and, and Wick also delivered in these moments. So this is what makes it difficult. But when you look at 
Poulin coming in at the, you know, I forget what age she was in 2010. I mean, she was 19, but she came in in 2010 and she had those two Olympic gold medal goals. And then in 2014, of course, she scores the tying and then the overtime goal. What people don't realize that in 2018, she had the game winner up until six and a half minutes remaining in the game. Then, of course, she comes into the World Championship. Canada hasn't won in a decade. And she gets the overtime winner to get that gold back in August. Mm. And then she gets to these, and she gets two goals and an assist in a 3-2 win over the Americans. Her timing and her maturity in those moments is unbelievable. And when you talk about the game and how it's evolved, the way I, sort of my clincher on all of this is that she comes in as, as, you know, a young player in 2010. And the game has grown incredibly since then. So what would that 2010 team beat our 2002 team by, right? That's what I mean. It's natural evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. Yet she has evolved and is now 30 and is still at the very, very top. Mm-hmm. So as it's moved the needle, so is she. And she's complete. So we talk about her goal scoring and we talk about that uncanny ability to put it in when it matters. But what about like her, her compete, her ability to play a 200 foot game, which you don't always see from stars, right? It's, it's not just a, a North South goal scoring game. Like she is on the PK. She much to my chagrin, I might add, she is, you know, on the wall. She's fighting. Like I always said, used to say, can some, can we get her a winger to get to the puck first, please? Right. So that she can actually stay and hang out in the high slot. But it wouldn't yeah. matter who you put her with because she's going to be the first to it because she just wants to be there. And so it's just she, she led in pass distribution. And I'm not a huge analytics person, but I mean, she led in pass distribution mm-hmm. this this tournament. So her, her the evolution of her game um, and the layers to her game beyond her goal scoring. She's the best. So there you go. Didn't there deflect. it is. That was good. I, I appreciate that because back in two, no one's ever going to remember this. But back in 2009, uh, the Canadian team was in Rockland, Ontario, not far from outside Ottawa. And I was sent there to do a story on the Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey. When I think back now to that title, I'm like, I apologize to everybody for having to, but we did that back then. We're always like, let's compare the best female and say what male it is. Anyway, uh, I had to do a story on Marie Philippe Poulin, who I didn't know at the time, but I researched going in. And so I'm talking to Melanie Davidson, who was the head coach at the time, but you know what Melanie's like, she she doesn't like to give out a lot of kudos because she likes to keep you fairly grounded. So when I'm talking to her, she's like, she's not basically, she's not that good. Like, just, yeah. and so, yeah. <laughs> and I chuckle to this day where she's like trying to downplay how good Marie Philip Poulain is. And that was the year before she goes in to score the gold medal game in Vancouver. Uh, so it, or, like, yeah, she's incredible. And it, it's funny that you say Melody, you know, did that. That was the year after I got cut. Thanks for the reminder. But um, <laughs> I remember when, when Poulain started as well. And, and the thing with Poulain is you'll, you could walk through a number of shifts in a game or even some games where you don't actually notice her. And even at the beginning of this tournament, people were like, and that's just that that's the eye from sitting on, you know, across the TV. But if you watch the details of her game, um, you would know that she's been very, very effective, but she, Mm -hmm. she really doesn't, she doesn't care. She's, she's a leader through and through. Like she just wants to get the job done. And then she quietly, you look at like her stat sheet and quietly you're like, what? Like she's got, She's got 12 points right now, like, right. And then, and then all of a sudden, boom, they play the Americans. And so that's, it's, it's incredible that she has this quiet presence about her, 
but yet like it's not always the flash it's the flash in the big moment because she scores the goal but yeah. it's every it's the subtle things she does in a game and and you know from playing it's those players that do the subtle things that make an incredible difference in the game and it's often the difference between winning and losing and uh, she's just got it she's consistent too which is i guess probably the biggest thing and i've talked to meth about this the players who survive and star and excel are always the ones that consistently do it on a nightly basis like Sidney crosby right he's not always flashy but he always seems to have three points by the end of how everything goes yeah. and, and what's incredible if you were to if we were to put a list up of poulin's injuries over the years you wouldn't even know where to start from mm -hmm. ruptured spleen to shoulder to ankle to i mean I can't even keep up with the number of injuries she has had. Um, you know, her knee, uh, World Championship 2019, she, you know, she didn't play because she was hurt in the first game again, re-injured. So again, you're talking about a, a woman who has been, you know, has sustained some pretty significant injuries over the course of her career, and she is still doing what she is doing. So again, I think, um, you know, it, it's absolutely incredible. And, and I think the bond that this particular group has, just even the lightness to them, I think it was pretty evident uh, beyond wearing their heart on their sleeve. I think they wore their heart for each other. And I think that was really binding moment for them with everything they've been through. Uh, last question on MPP, and that is, should she, there's rumors about playing in the East Coast League and all that. Should she play with men, for lack of a better term? You know, it's interesting and I would never uh, shake my head one way or another at her because it would be her decision, right? Like that, it's her decision. Um, but she did say no, my understanding is to this ECHL contract, yeah. which I was kind of, you know, somewhat doing this uh, in my own special way I was doing it. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't frown upon uh, her doing it because at this point in time, she has nowhere to play essentially outside mm. of some tours uh, that, that are happening, which are being put together to in encourage visibility um, and, and the greater growth of the game. But what, one of the things that I, I would have to think, and again, I, I don't know because I've not spoken to her in her reasoning behind this. And I said this the other day is that if Poulin goes in place uh, in the ECHL, which would be her prerogative and everyone would support her because she's just, she's a great human being yep. um, and a great player. But that, that would help Poulin, right? Like that would get her on the ice and whatever. But Poulin's, Poulin thinks about everyone and the, and, and the fight that they've been in over the last, I don't know how many years, for something greater uh, than herself. And so for me, uh, in some ways, from just my own perspective, again, not having spoken to her about it, I think that, you know, part of this decision is also the greater, the, the, you know, the greater, vis the greater visibility of the group, not just Poulin. And again, that, that comes back to just, you know, speaks volumes again. And not that I wouldn't speak, you know, speak volume if she took it. I just think she wants something bigger than her for the game. Uh, and I think she thinks she needs to con stay connected with this group to be able to do it. And okay, and I will, that's an easy way to transition into what I want to talk about next. And that is growing the game, the women's game in Canada, obviously. There is the, the Sonnet Tour. It's, it's making a stop this weekend in Ottawa, actually, at the Steve Eisman Arena in the PN. You can get tickets online. Is, um, what do we need to do here? And uh, I'll stop it. Obviously, the easy part is, well, if you give it a whole bunch of money, it would obviously succeed. But in order to get that, you need TV ratings, you need TV broadcasters to jump in. And that doesn't mean they're going to be there. There's, It's tough to sell the CHL in Canada. It's tough to sell the AHL in Canada. It's yep. tough to sell anything outside yep. of the National For Hockey sure. League. So everybody wants to just jump on and say, well, just pour money into it, but that doesn't make it a business decision for broadcasters or for anybody else getting involved. So how do you grow this sport to a professional women's league 
and can is there enough support for it? I know that's a broad question, and we it's take a us broad three days question. to answer. It's yeah, no, it would, and I don't have the answers. I wish, I wish I did. Uh, but I think you said it. There's, it's tough markets for CHLs, but you tried, right? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're trying, yeah. and so where is that for the women's game? And you're coming off of, you know, I said this four years ago. The time is now, and yeah, I got a little, you know, not not emotional the other day, but I said, you know, I'm kind of sick of talking about where we're at because we've been talking about where we're at for years. And if I actually look at it, and I think it's very sad in multiple ways. If I look back, if I reflect at when I played in my, played my club, my club uh, hockey, um, where I played, you know, which is preparation and journey to getting to the national team, and also it was a great league. I almost look, I don't think we're that much further ahead. And that's very sad to me that we're not much further ahead than if we're any further ahead than where I was um, with the parity, like in just that let level, uh, you know, a decade ago. And yet these women have committed themselves to it differently. The, the showcase the talent is different. And I think there's a real appetite for it if you watch the Olympic winter games. And so I think really, I mean, the first thing you can do is buy a ticket this weekend, right? Go watch some of these athletes play and, and see them and be visible. But no question, I think someone's got to try and, and it's got to be on the appropriate platform. You have to give it an opportunity to succeed and with, with the resources and the marketing and the platform to be able to showcase it, to get enough eyeballs on it uh, and give it a real go. And that hasn't that hasn't happened, and so I feel like it's it's a shame that these women, who uh, have just represented their countries, have nowhere to to play full time. And so, what do they do now? Uh, and that is the big question. So I think uh, you know whether it's corporate, you know NHL. There's various things and ways we could look at. But what I do know is that I coach young girls, and I coach my daughters, and I certainly know that they want to watch. I certainly know that they stayed up to watch those games. I, I know that they turn on the television when the PWHBA games are on um, or they buy tickets if they don't have games to go down and watch uh, when they can. Of course, with COVID, it's different. But so there needs to be something so that they can see what's available down the road. And for me, there needs to be something. And yeah. these women have earned it, uh, but we've been talking about it for way too long. And so, yeah, someone is going to have to invest in it um, and look at involvement within the community and, and use utilize these women for the great mentors that they are as well to make them more visible, right? Yeah. You know, put a face to the name of, of, I will of some say, of these athletes. I think it was 2009, the All-Star Game in Ottawa. The, there was a few national team members. Tessa Bonhomme was one of them. My yeah. son still has a signed Tessa Bonham photo in his room and knows her and was following her throughout that point because he's like, I've met her. So yeah. I, I totally agree. Like just getting out, like people even like to see meth, like just getting yeah. out to see these people, right? Like so, if you sign something, people are all in. Well, uh, my kids used to go to the games with their teams and they would line up. All of the women would come out afterwards and do autograph sessions post game just to, to grow the base, every single one of them. Every single one of them, um, you know, it wasn't like two or three of them. They were so accessible, so accessible because they knew they had to be not that, you know, they always wanted to and not, but they knew they had to be for these, for the, for the, for the next generation. And that doesn't even need to be young girls. It can be young boys. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the greatest things that happened to me the other day, little coach Cal, who was doing his little speech, sent me a note and said, Oh, I want to 
you know, I'm going to bring it like Cheryl Pounder in the booth. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's a little boy talking about a a young woman, a young woman, not a young woman, but (laughs) But again, it was, it was not about that. It was more about the idea that there's a, like, that's a young boy saying, oh, look at her, look her. And so I feel like there's, there's the visibility around that is what is key. And, um, you know, Becky Keller, one of my best friends in 2010, she moved her boys to, to Calgary or to Calgary to train full time to compete for the women's team in Vancouver. And she did. And one of the, the first things someone, one of the kids, when she came back, asked one of her boys, who's your favorite hockey player? And, and, and it was, it was a woman. And so just because they would seen it, he'd been around it. And so let it be their choice. Right. I always say to my girls, you know, if, 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 you know, Brady Kachuk is your favorite player, then Brady Kachuk is your favorite player. But if it's Laura Stacy uh, who wears seven for Canada, then it's Laura Stacy. Mm-hmm. You choose, you choose, yeah. bud, you know? And so we got to kind of just promote it um, to a level where people want to see it. And then, Hey, if, if you don't want to watch, turn it off, turn off the television. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, let's give them an opportunity yeah. to be successful. Yeah, it shouldn't be every four years either, right? That's that becomes that's, the key. It just fades yeah, away. Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing, right? It's it's yeah. like it's not enough. No. And I love that you mentioned like marketing individuals, like yes. not just the teams, but like throw the individuals out there, get your stars out there. Like yes. that's the biggest thing because I can speak on that with a lot of friends of mine that used to follow us when I played with the Sens because they knew me there, right? Or or yes. other fans or whatever. Because you start to kind of follow individuals right it's it gets bigger than the team sometimes in some weird way where you're more interested in Poulet or some individual that's a superstar so I'm with you on that I think marketing is the biggest thing that needs it, to it is you and it's, get it's your fu- faces out there yeah and it, it's funny right after the, before the, the last Clarkson Cup so that would be sort of that's the, the big cup for what the CWHL was before it ceased operation in 2019 I actually went to the game with my team and we were down at um, Coca-Cola Coliseum and it was pretty much sold out there. And I looked down and I don't know how many kids had bought a jersey. And it was the first time I was like, they've identified, right? right. They've actually identified. Yeah. Um, they bought the jersey. And then it went poof. And, and so, it, you know, you step back. And yes, they've got the PHF um, that's happening as well. And it's not a disrespect to any of, you know, I, I'm a fan of the game. Uh, it's not a disrespect at all, but we have arguably, you know, all of your national team athletes that aren't playing somewhere. So we've got to get young, young, young girls, boys, whoever it may be wanting to buy the Jersey. And the only way is that they know who that individual is, who, who puts that Jersey yep. on. And so that, that, that rings true in, in sport, right? It yep. rings true yes. in sport because um, my daughter, begged Aaron Ambrose for her jersey like begged you know it, it, again it's just because that was her player and still that's is a, that's that hockey mentality though nobody shine up your teammates nobody stand out a little but now you're seeing it with Austin Matthews stick like there's a few guys PK Subban was another just guys who wanted it's to be changing. out yeah. in front I, I just you need more of that from all over like you need those you need Brady Kachuk to actually want to to step away from the team and be that center point and focal figure that's how you draw people and, in and it, and it's hard because it adds pressure to so those some of those individual right. athletes which Correct. i know that you know pulen and um you know she's always been a humble athlete that doesn't you know yep. doesn't necessarily love the spotlight or so it would seem she'd rather deflect 
to her team. But what I can guarantee you is that each one of those athletes is willing to do what it takes, uh, what's necessary to, to create as much buzz and energy around the game. And if that means staying afterwards to, you know, to sign autographs or to go out in the community uh, and I don't know, be available for an event uh, within their community, wherever their team is. Um, and that's some of the reward, not necessarily when you're looking at monetary investment and what you're get, what you're getting back, but what are you getting back within a community that has a woman's team and, and, and the, the role models that are on that team that can go out in your community? Because you all know, like we all know that when everyone sees Brady Kachuk throwing his stick over the boards to that, that little kid or signing it, what it does, it, it just, it, it brings in community and it makes community want to come and support and so i feel like it's beyond the game so we can start talking about it's not going to make the money and it's not going to do this well certainly we're going to start somewhere but when you build those ties within a community um you know you you don't know what that opportunity yeah. presents and and i also know every time i walked into a canada us game and you know, we're not talking about a 10 person team league here. We're talking about, we're starting kind of with an original six idea, right? And yeah. so there's parity and it's great quality and it's great pace and it's not watered down. Um, and when you have that opportunity, it's incredible because when I was at the all-star break back in whatever, what year it was pre 2002 in Toronto, we were sold out and it was Canada U S women. Mm. So you know, when I played my last game in 2007 in Winnipeg, there was no standing room left. So how do we, how do we recreate and can we put them in smaller buildings perhaps to create buzz? I mean, Arizona is going to be doing it, right? So, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, too easy. So it's, uh, I don't know, obviously I'm passionate guys and I don't have the answer, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's time and I've been saying it's time for a very long time. And yeah. when it's I most agree. visible coming out of an Olympics. It's time. I, yeah. Know, they, think they need to uh, cash in, if you will, and just start to use that momentum. I think now is perfect timing just to get this going. So I do hope this somehow finds its way that it has become a regular, you see it every week. You can watch all the women, best players in the world at any time. Um, last topic I want to get in, and that is obviously your work on the senators. So uh, the two of you stay at home defensemen weigh in <laughs> on Artem Zub. Uh, Frank Cervelli has put it in his article that Artem Zub is possibly available. What he has told me is that, Zub has been mentioned that he is available if it's the right price. I don't know what that price would be. Would either one of you move Artem Zub right now? Well, I'm not. Go ahead, Matt. I'm going to say that your, uh, your, your fresh uh, vacation mind has to stay on this one. <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, Wayne Gretzky has been traded. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not impossible. Do I think it's a good idea? No, obviously. I, and I mean, what are you like you, you, and I said this about Nick Paul, you trade a player away. And, and this, this is especially true with a player like Artem Zub. You trade him away. What now you're looking for a player like Artem Zub for the next yeah. two seasons or whatever it may be. So you finally have a legitimate top four defenseman, stay at home defenseman on your team. Who's relatively young. Uh, can, and, and he's proven that he can play with anybody. Like he's making Eric Branstrom look good. So, I mean, and I'm not trying to shit on Eric Branstrom. I'm just saying, I guess I am kind of, but yeah, no, you, you know, are. like for me, it's simple. I'm not going to go into some long rant. I, I think it's idiotic. I, when I saw the report, I just thought, you know, Frank isn't obviously paying close attention to the team. Like we all are here. So maybe the name was floating around because, you know, he's up at some point and, no, uh, it's he's a out younger there. player that may be valuable. 
but that it's, doesn't mean that the team wants to move them and the team's not going to deny it because I'm sure they want to hear potential options, but I, yeah. I think it would be just stupid. That's my stance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to agree with you. And it's, I was doing the game the other day and I, I just, I had actually marked a little highlight pack on him because it was just the small little details of his game of the ability to shut down the blue line, take away ice yeah. neutral zone, a good active stick. And those little details, as you know, Matt, like they, they sometimes can get forgotten and how totally. damn important they are in yeah. protecting the middle of the ice, in particular your own zone in front of the net and deflecting the perimeter and finding ways to play physical, even taking yeah. a hit like he has the size. So to me, it doesn't make sense when he's been consistent. Uh, he has the ability to play with guys that can, you know, jump into the rush more than he does. He, he can get back like he's, he's effective. We've seen him find shot lanes from the blue line, even though he's, you know, not typically your guy that's going to create a ton of offense. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, yeah, I, I'm still of the belief that those championship teams start at the house and at home. And, and I feel like you got to make sure you take care of that area. Um, it's just it's, it's maybe that's just because I was the player I was and I wasn't I wasn't the one activating on the rush. The game has completely changed, but there's some areas of the game where you just have to be solid, strong. And, and yeah. you know, you're not going to always have the numbers to back yourself up, but it's the details for me of his game um, that, that make him, make him effective. And I, I wouldn't move him. Okay. So here's the debate that I, oh, here I, we go. Okay. No, this is good. You'll like this. So all right, we in Ottawa, because never hear from Artem Zub, he has now got this legendary status. He's like a cult like figure. So I feel like people put way too much uh, emphasis perhaps on his game or think more of it than it should be. If he's on a legit Stanley Cup contending team, is he a top four defenseman? Cheryl, I'll start with you. Oh, I think he can play valuable shutdown minutes. I do. So I think he can play in four because I think if he has a solid partner, I think he can take away a lot of minutes. He can play a lot of minutes and he can play tough and he can play physical. And it's those details that I mentioned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, if he's in your third pairing, you're, you're, you're a Stanley cup contending winning team. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's what, what, what I would say, um, you know, so he can play top four, certainly on a very strong team, but if he's in your, if he's in your bottom six, you are a Stanley cup contender because you've his ability to shut down. If he has a partner, um that has the same ability as him you can play him against top guys elite talent um and look for shutdown minutes yeah he it's it's i totally agree with everything cp just said his decision making is always like top notch right like you never really see him out of position you never see him really ever make a play where you're like what was he doing there he's just he's always making the right decisions and then you you conflate that with really good skating and the ability to make that good first pass as a stay-at-home D-man, which I think is why, yeah, like, so that's why that's why he's such a legitimate, he's, I don't, like, on a really good team, maybe not your top two, maybe not, but you could still probably put him there if you had a good offensive guy to compliment. So, yeah, yeah I agree with CP, top four on a good team, he'll fit right in. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love what you said there too, because I love the fact that that first pass sometimes gets, gets unnoticed because we see it. Sometimes we see the really flash first pass on an yes. exit, like a real, but the simple freaking pass, man, yeah. like just draw in someone and make it quick, make it soon, step back to the middle of the ice to get yourself in a good position to defend. Yeah. Um, and he, he does that and his stick, the way he takes away ice on his gap. I, yeah. those are things that um, not a lot of, you know, you there's, I, I emphasize them. I know that's because my eye naturally goes there, but um, those are, those are certainly the things that I look for yep. and I see it with him. 
Okay, so let's debate Eric Brandstrom then, since Meth brought him up. Would is Eric Brandstrom on your team next season, Mark Mathot? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I between me, like if you're some someone mentioned um, a really interesting potential trade. I mean, I don't know if Tampa would ever do it, but you mentioned Eric Chernak, and and would you trade him? Or I guess sorry, would you trade Lassie Thompson and or um, Eric Branstrom for a, for a Chernak, right? Like, like a good stay at home defenseman that can play physical and he's a legitimate top four. Uh, and my answer was yes, because you've got to understand that you've got Sanderson coming in. You've got Clevin coming in. You've got some depth guys. I, I'm reluctant to call them depth guys. They're going to be stars and you still have JBD. So you, we've got pieces to move and, and where does Branstrom fit once Sanderson and Shabbat are both on your team? You know, like, that's what I'm saying. And, and I know there's a love affair with Eric Branstrom on Sen's Twitter, and I'm sure on Reddit, those nerds are probably talking about him there too. That's fine. Great. But you need to be realistic when you're building a hockey team. And you might have a love affair for a certain player, but if he doesn't fit in the plans, like, is he better than Sanderson? Is he better than Shabbat? No. Um, so where does he fit? I don't see him fitting in the, fan, in the plans moving forward. I hope he has a great career. I don't see him on this team moving forward. Yeah, I think it's I, I'm I'm not as uh, convinced as as you are, Mark. Um, but I would say that it that I agree with you. But I think they need a they need they need another shutdown D. And so where does that push him? When you look at PP one, you know you know you've got Shabbat, you've got Sanderson. So where where Brandstrom's skill set is, is his ability to activate the yes. mobile on the blue line and activate through the middle of the ice. Yeah. So he's going to have a real good, you know, his, his, his zone exit, like they're, they're going to be good and you're going to see him get hit back in the middle and he's going to lead and be offensive. So yeah. if you're looking, if you know, you need a shutdown guy, that's going to push him into your bottom six. Now, what is that? Well, right. What does that do now? Because now he's not going to be on PP one. So that's, you know, you, you know that he's not going to be. So you're not using him for a skill set that that he is. So I think it's going to be tough not to move him in this situation. But there are elements to his game that I do like when he yes. is on his game. Like, I love the way he uses the net. I love the way he comes through the middle of the ice. But again, I feel they need a top four D right now. I feel like they need yeah. a defensively oriented shutdown first pass like a Zub um, yep. to be able to contend and play tough minutes against elite guys. Um, and I think that's going to make it more difficult for him. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, again, I wasn't as um, diplomatic about it. I, my hot, my takes can get a little warm sometimes. No, I, I, that's but, good for you. Yeah, that's, but, that's good but though. You're right though. I, and I should mention, I agree with CP when like his ability, his, his ability to look up the ice when he does have control of the puck on neutral zone transitions off really DVDs good. and stuff like he's exceptional at making those up the middle plays. We've seen him do it yes. like a ton now. Like he's very good. Very good in the offensive zone on the blue line too. But for me, it's well, about yeah. numbers and depth. And that, yeah. like we just talked about, I think he's going to get well, squeezed out. Yeah, because you know, Shabbat, if Sanderson's coming in, you're going to give him that opportunity to be the guy that everyone knows he can be at 100%. the NHL level. And so it's really a matter of that. Uh, you know, how many of those skilled guys do you, do you need at, on your blue line um, in particular? And and that I still think they need that. They need a top, like they need a sh they need another shutdown. Yep. guy just who can just protect the protect the interior um make guys pay the price and not want to come through the middle um yep. you know it's gonna be hard you got it's gotta be hard to get to the net yep. and um i think they need another one uh this is fun so i'm gonna keep going is 
Uh-oh. Who, who is your number one center next season? Is it Josh Norris or Tim Stutzler? Oh. Uh, Mark Mathot. Uh, I mean, Norris has such good chemistry with Batherson and Kachuk that I think that's the safe decision to start. Um, if you have Tim Stutzla at the level that he's playing at now going into next season, then I think you need to get a legitimate again. And I'm sure a lot of teams forward. are doing this. Yeah. You need another top six forward, right? Yep. Otherwise you're wasting him. So, yep. you know, like, but, but to me, realistically, if this is going to be a playoff team, Norris for now has to be your number one center because he's responsible two ways. He's very good in his own zone. And then Stitzel can be a, you know, like that padded extra point production guy, elite centerman on your second line with another good winger that can help you get more points. So you can make an argument against it for sure, but Norris is still your safe bet as a number one going into next season. We have a different conversation if it was the following one. Yeah, we might think alike, and this is not, we're, you know, we're, we're working off each other here, but yeah. I, I'm going to say, no, it, you know, one of the things that the injuries, as much as, as crap as it is for the senators um, and, and the, the goaltending and everything that's happened and put them in a position, but it's, it's given Stitzel the opportunity to get to the middle. Yeah. Whereas otherwise, I don't think he would have been given the opportunity to play in the middle. And I think he's shown much differently since he's been in the middle for me that the ability to go north-south, but also east-west for me, because that that's opened his game up, the ability to, to um, create more, also just to see a little bit differently. So for me, as much as, you know, you can say, oh, defensively and physical maturation and in the face-off dive, I'll throw it all out the window because you're building here. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's a big piece is that he got to the middle. So we, I don't know if we'd be having this discussion if he were, hadn't been moved to the middle. Mm. Um, whereas now I feel like we can, but I, I, I'm with you. They need a other top six forward to be able to complement and to be able to execute because obviously what we're seeing now as the suits is the one driving the offense right now and it's 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 very difficult they need a they need a top six yeah so cheryl is dj smith over coaching himself a lot of people just said put tim stutzler in the middle at the start of the year and look what will happen and he fought it uh he's fought other moves around uh in top six spots or whatever i'm just curious if you think he perhaps overcoaches himself, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think the, the problem is you're walking in and Matthew probably talk more to this than I can, but you know, you got a 19 year old in, in, uh, you know, coming in your dressing room, hasn't played center in a few years and what he's going to, he's going to act, act as your second or third, you know, line center at the time. Uh, he's going to have to be in the face-off dot against what guys on the other teams consistently. So, so how is that going to be necessarily good for his game? And I can see, you know, in some ways trying to support and protect your players, your young players from yeah. putting them in that position in particular, you know, down low in your own zone, you know, as, as a supporting player, a second layer, that's tough. Yeah. So I think in some ways, DJ being, you know, you know, from my understanding, you know, of the type of, of man he is, it's just, you know, trying to, to support the youth also and not crush uh, confidence at a, at a young age. But I think he was kind of put in a situation where, Hey, why not? Right. Like what the hell might as well give yeah. it a try now. Like, you know, look what's happened here. So, I mean, I might be wrong, Mark, but that's sort of my, you know, it, it's awfully tough when you've been gone a few years and you haven't played in the middle and then to be thrown into that situation in the NHL when you're yeah. not physically mature, um, and have tough minutes when you're going, you know, into the, into, into the face-off circle against, you know, it could be John Tavares every, you know, every time you, you're matching up or, you know, yeah. it could be a camp, you know, those kind of things. I agree. 
I mean, I think for you nailed it when you said that, you know, at that age, like you have to protect the player. I think DJ play, played it perfectly. And yeah. then waited for injuries to happen, which was inevitable. And that gave him the opportunity. First of all, it protects DJ and his decision-making to move him yeah. to the middle. Yeah. But it, I think in the best interest of the player, it's, it's ideal as well, because he was getting eaten alive on face-offs. Like yes. I, he was winning, yeah. like he was like two for something yeah. insane, like two for 19 or something in one of his games. Like, so he obviously has a lot of, uh, room for improvement there. I, I don't know what his numbers are as of late. I'm not going to pretend like I know, but um, that's just proof that he wasn't necessarily prepared for it initially. And the defensive zone, um, you know, assignments involved if you're a centerman is is crazy. Like yeah, at that age, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. So that that's the biggest thing for me. And I'm seeing him mature now. He's getting more comfortable, more confident, and the transition's been a lot smoother as opposed to coming, getting thrown into the fire right after training camp. That would not have been fair. Yeah, no. And I, that's what I saw from it. So, I mean, I, I, you can't, you can't blame the coach for doing that. I don't think, but I just think he was put into a position where, you know, all so many injuries, so many things gone down. Um, Yeah. What, why the hell not? Right. And I think he's shown different elements of his game and that, yeah, he's the circle and all those kind of things, but I feel like you can really see um, the future of Stutzla in the middle in this move. Uh, fair enough. I, I, Cheryl, I don't want to keep you any longer so you can get some uh, much-needed rest that you've earned over the last, uh, well, it feels like three weeks here of covering uh, the Olympics. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate your time. We will get you to the Whitewater Beer Santa soon with a delivery. So uh, thank you very much. Oh, no, about. that was great. I'm telling you, it came in perfect time, too. Oh, yeah. the uh, Which one would I like the best? I can't remember. The fig one was, I think it was the fig one. Anyway, uh, they yes. were all so different. They were great. So They were, they were very good. I appreciate it. Thank you, Cheryl. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, guys. All right. Welcome back to the show. And a thank you to Cheryl Pounder. Welcome now into the show. As always, the guy that keeps us on track and is on page four. uh, Craig. (laughs) We're just ripping through these pages today. Kill it. (laughs) I'm going to go double-sided and save it because I'm I'm running out of ink. It's expensive. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Math, I meant to put this in the first, but uh, I skipped it till the end. Is Zdeno Chara is getting set on Saturday? I think it is uh, against San Jose to play his 1,652nd game, oh. <laughs> which is the most uh, will be the most by a defenseman in NHL history. He's 44 years old. He's averaging yeah. 18 and a half minutes. And for those who don't know, uh, Ottawa won that trade. It was the biggest trade, uh, arguably, when they traded Alexi Asher. The Islanders agreed ended up getting. Uh, Spezza, which was the second pick, uh, Chara and Bill McCall. He played 299 games with Ottawa of those 1,651 games so far. You played 600 games. I'm just curious. Can you just sum up what it's like to play this kind of hockey? Like, you're not even 40 yet. And he is, like, playing National Hockey League minutes here at at 44, soon to be 45 years old. And the craziest thing is like, I've always taken really good care of myself. Like I've always mm-hmm. been a hard worker. I love to train. I love to, I still train like an animal in the gym, but like genetically, like my knees, my shoulders, everything, like everything hurts all the time. Right. Um, whereas Chara's got Olympian parents. So I, you have to think that that has some play into this. I mean, he's a freak athlete. Um, really, I can't stress enough how impressive just to play, just to play a thousand games, let's just say, but to play 1,600 hockey games with the physicality that he's brought to the game yeah. is incredible. So, I, I mean, hats off to Zidano. He was my favorite player. Like, so when I was playing, when I was playing junior and even a little before junior hockey, 
Um, especially once Chera got to Ottawa, that's when I really started paying attention. I just thought it was hilarious. You know, they would use him on the power play and this big mutant defenseman who was actually pretty skilled too and crazy tough. They just plant him in front of the net on the power play and he would stand there and I would just howl in front of the TV watching that. I was always a huge fan of his because I thought he was such an impressive uh, player to watch. So, I mean, I can, I can keep pumping his tires, but really it's, it speaks volumes of his dedication to the game, his discipline, his work ethic. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's only something I could dream of. I mean, to play that much hockey, let it like he's got, he's got a thousand games almost on top of what I played. Like just to put that into perspective, which that's is what incredible. I thought. That's what I thought Brent was going to ask you. Is like, could you imagine yeah. playing a thousand more like after no. your career? No it's chance. Insane. And it's not, it's not just the hockey. I know we're, we're elongating our episode again. That's it's fine. not just the, the, the on ice, like it's, it's the grind. And you guys both know what that's like traveling yes. and, yes. The, and like the, the wearing late nights, like it, it, it really drains you. Like I'd go through long and by, I was wiry. So I was always a high stress guy, but like I would go for weeks like my eyes would be twitching. Uh, I'd be stressed out. I'd get nasty headaches all the time. Um, you know, late inconsistent sleep schedules, and then you're getting beat up on the ice and then you're eating like crap on the road. Like it really takes a toll on you over time. Right now, imagine doing that for like 20 years. I, I just, I can't, and, and being healthy most of the time. Well, Insane. And that's the other part, right? He's consistently got to be healthy to in order to play those kinds of games. You can't have yeah. major injuries very often. Yeah, it's it's crazy. He's it needs more attention. Yeah, it's not getting enough attention. It's crazy. I, I can't get over that. Like, well, it's one thing to get a thousand points. To me, yeah. it's a greater milestone to play sixteen hundred games. That's anyway. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Well, he was he was before our my time and Matt's time. There, do you have any uh, Zidane Chara stories for us? Oh, not really. The only, anytime I always think of Chara playing is the one time uh, he took... So we always talk about how heavy his shot was, and he was breaking sticks left and right. They couldn't find him a stick that was strong enough for him. But he uh, broke Alfie's rib in front of the net on a... Like, it was a power play. It was a point shot. And I've never forgotten. I'm like, how hard do you have to shoot the puck to be breaking yeah. that guy's rib? That's oh, yeah. What, so and I always remember like, that. Like, he's... So he's, he's a physical freak. He's not like a huge, thick guy, per se, but he's so naturally strong. And I do attribute that. I do firmly believe in good genetics. I know he has, like I said, Olympian parents, yeah. but like, I always remember being told that he was able to bang out like 20 plus plups, uh, you know, during training camp fitness testing, which again, I can't stress how difficult it is to do that <laughs> at six foot nine with those long arms. Just think about that. Right. Like those are the things that I remember them. Uh, we bet we beat them in the playoffs, right. Uh, years back was it 2017, um, and I remember shaking his hand when we were, you know, finishing up the series and I told him right there, I'm like, I'm like, Z, I've always been a huge fan of yours, you know, thank you or whatever. And I don't even think he really understood what I said to him. So he was like, good round. And he just kept going, you know, I was like, all right, <laughs> see you later. Yeah. But uh, I, I have a great deal. I, I probably admired him. He's on par with Ray Bork as far as my two favorite players of all time. And I got the chance to play against him. So that was cool. Boys, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up before we kind of wrap up here, Ryan Bazingle, he was in the news again the other day. I uh, got traded and waived. Yeah. Now he's in San Jose now. Uh, he's a guy we all know pretty well. And, and yeah. Bobby, Bobby tweeted something that I think it makes sense to me. I just wanted to read it to you guys, figure out what you guys had. And he wrote, uh, imagine having Bazingle on almost any team and rolling him out minimally. I just don't get him. Put him on your second line with a good center, and he gets you 15 to 25 for a million bucks. 
Yeah. Is that is that kind of the player he is? Is he being misused by these teams that are just throwing him on the fourth line and kind of trying to turn him into a checker? Like, is he is he one of those guys that maybe should be playing a bigger role I'll, on a bigger line with better players? I'll go first really quickly. I haven't watched Zinger play enough over the last year and a half to give a fair assessment. Um, so it would be disingenuous for me to jump in and be like, yeah, like he'll get 30 <laughs> goals. So I, I'm not sure, but I've played with Zinger. Great guy. Uh, takes very good care of himself off the ice. He's in great shape. So, I mean, I believe there's a role for him um, anywhere. Uh, what Now it depends what that role looks like on any given team. But, yeah, I'm sure if you play him with the right guys, but that could be said about a lot of players too. So I'm reluctant to go that far. But I do think that, you know, he's definitely serviceable. You're definitely able to get at least 15 out of him a year. He's skilled enough to do it. Um, okay, I just but think, can you, you know, get it in the give him an opportunity. Can you get it yeah. in the postseason? That's the question. Yeah, of course you can. I think you can. Yeah, sure. I think you can. If you, given the right role um, with the right line mates, again, I think given the right role, I could probably get 20 goals potentially if I played with a really good player. But so, so I don't know how much value I give to that. But um, I think in his case, his skating, I don't, I haven't seen him lately. So I can't speak on that exactly. But my experience with Zinger, he was always very fast. Um, always had skill, just lacked sometimes a little bit of the creativity, maybe if you want to be critical, but, um, really good depth piece to have on a team. Like there's no question there. I mean, he's, there's a role for him. I'm just not quite sure what that looks like. It depends where he's playing. He almost kind of feels like the reverse Zub where like Zub, you put Zub with a guy to bring his play up. Zingle's the guy that you put him with a zoo, well, a Matt Duchesne, for example, and it brings yeah. his play up. Like he can play yeah. with better players I, rather I than drag up worse I players, agree. which is what happens that's, to him, I think, on fourth lines. Does that make sense? Yep, totally. Okay. That's a good assessment. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, Ryan Zingle's in San Jose. They're collecting a few, <laughs> a few, a few uh, old sense pieces there. So I might, I don't know, I kind of want to tune in and check in see, on all those. See how guys. they do. See, yeah. Yeah. See who's looking good down there. Yep. Well, uh, by the way, uh, I went to my first uh, NHL game as a non-member of the media on Tuesday. Uh, How was it? Uh, interesting. It was different. It just, it was okay. I just didn't want to. Well, was I, it different? Did, it was different because like, you had to wear a mask the whole game? Was that fun? No, meth. Um, I, <laughs> when I ate my popcorn, I didn't have to wear it. Um, so what you do is you buy a large and you just slowly <laughs> eat it throughout the entire game. Uh, anyway, uh, it was, uh, I was going to come over and see you. I was like, I just, I didn't want to hang out with people. So for the most part, I just hung out with my kid, which was so for like the 23 years I covered hockey, I didn't ever go to a game as a fan except like three times. And I was able to take my kid like once. And so it was nice just to go back and see. That's cool. It's good for you guys. Watching with yeah, you did. Yeah. I think you did that the right way. I did that in the fall. I went to like my first game and it's the same thing. Like you bring a kid with you or something or else you just, yeah. it's weird the entire yeah. time. Cause being there for like work reasons and then going back there. Cause you know, like your seat, it's like yeah. if you like work in TV or work in movies, it kind of ruins TVs and movies for you. Right. Cause you know how the yes. sausage gets made a little bit. So yep. yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Well, there you go. You, uh, you made it back in there. So maybe well, let's get to a game. Hey, how about us? All three of us, yeah. The three amigos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the only way I would go is if I could drink a good, healthy amount of beer. That was game, fun. Which, yeah, that was yeah, nice. Yeah. So, well, I, anyway, I'm we'll assuming, Matt, that you could out. afford the Uber. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about that. I just, uh, I don't know if I could go 
watch a game and just sit there like you know like as i get like i get like sweaty palms and i get fidgety because like i want to play and i'm very analytical and critical of the game when it's happening so if i had something that could relax me like an abundance of alcohol i feel like i would enjoy it more i will get smart i come over I hate to derail the show, but we didn't we didn't talk about Mexico one time. If there's people coming in here, one of right. Mexico yeah, yeah. trip. We didn't talk sure. about this once. Yeah. Can hey, we get whatever us? you guys want to talk about? I hate That's right. You can see yeah. the wristband tan right here. Yeah. So um, we're this is a marathon episode for people that want to come here, but I don't want them to miss it. The so, flight I'm, the flight sucked on the way down because you have to wear a face diaper for five hours. Um, so and and there's they're very critical. Like so they'll be like so. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like this isn't me going on a mask grant because I wear it at the grocery store. I understand that it's important. I'm just saying when you're sitting on a plane like idle, um, it can you feel claustrophobic as enough as it is, plus you've got the mask on. So that was challenging. And they're like only 15 minutes at a time when you're eating. So after 15 minutes, you had to put it back up. Um, so because COVID doesn't spread when you pull it down to eat, it only spreads. So anyway, so so we got to the hotel, we had a really good time. Uh, the sunshine was amazing, and that's that's another thing we forget here as Canadians, right? Like you, you, you go down there and everything's just warm. Everyone's happy. Of course, I know you're on vacation, but like the weather does something to me. Like all of a sudden my knees, my knees felt good. Like I, I, I was like, Oh my God, after a couple of days, I'm like bounding around on the sand and I didn't feel like sore. Um, I slept better. So anyway, I had a really good time. It was much needed. I encourage people to get out and do that if they can. And they're able to, of course, uh, because it was a it was a nice way to break up the winter and, and get out for a bit. Of the minutes that you spent there, the hundreds of minutes, how many minutes did you have a shirt on for? I'm not one of those guys, Wally. So it's it's funny you say that. Like when I'm down there, like I'm wearing shoes everywhere. Like even even on the, around the pool, I've got my shoes and socks on because <laughs> uh, my feet get really dry. And um, my, uh, and I had a, I, I, I wore t-shirts almost all the time. Occasionally I would take them off if I wanted to get sun, but I'm not one of those guys walking around, like trying to like, you know what I mean? Like I'm very, I, I, I'm, I hide, I find a nice little hiding spot and I just keep to myself. So it was, it was good, but we were working out like my wife and I, we were working out every morning. We were in the gym around six, six 30, getting a good lift in. And, but before that I would go down to the beach and take chairs and this oh, one day, this one day, one of the workers gave me a hard time. He's like, well, you need to be back here by seven, sir. I'll refrain from using the Mexican accent because I'm sure, sure that won't go yeah, over well with that. the viewers. Thank but, you. but, uh, but, but so we were kind of arguing about it. I'm like, dude, like no one's out here until nine o'clock. Like, like, I think he was fishing for tips. Mm. I was always taking care of them when I got back, but I think he right. was being a little too, he was being selfish. You know, he wanted it right. He wanted up, up front. So Maybe uh, his shift might be ending or something. He just wants to make but sure. In the you end, okay, good. You I got just, your seats? In the end, I power moved it, but <laughs> took my hat off and a couple like personal items on me. I put them on the chairs and I walked away. <laughs> so he couldn't, he couldn't take anything away from me or no. eliminate the towels. Um, but we had a really good schedule. We weren't drinking a ton. We went with uh, another couple, had a great time, had a blast. Uh, nice to be back. So yeah, saw a boat. I saw a boat. You guys did some boating. Yeah, we rented a boat. Yeah, uh, we yeah. went out and saw the uh, the whales. Have you guys ever seen whales? That was my first time. Unbelievable! Like these, yeah, freaking things, man. Like like you always think whale watching would be painful and boring, like incredible. And I was just getting cranked on the boat too. So we had a lot of champagne. Oh, I uh, really enjoyed that. By the end of the boat trip, we we're fist pumping. You know, with yeah, the music yeah, yeah, playing. Yeah. So 
I have a lot of videos. I'm not going to share those ones. Okay. Um, really good time. We had a, a blast. That was one night that I kind of got a, you know, I drank a lot, but otherwise it was very conservative for the whole trip. Yeah. I, I don't want to get into your social media posts. Um, the, uh, were you, <laughs> were you more uh, Maverick or goose when you walked on the beach? Uh, I mean, I get the question. But I was with my wife. Like, it's not like I was with a bunch of guys playing beach volleyball, uh, which I would have enjoyed. Uh, but I can't jump because of my knee. So uh, I guess, I guess Goose. I guess Goose. I was more goofy than Mav, right? So, yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that question. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I'm, we're glad to have you back. Cause, well, <laughs> Thank oh, you. Uh, did you bring us gifts? Because normally when you come back, you always bring people gifts when you so go away. So we had to buy gifts for my kids. And then, of course, my mother-in-law and my mother for looking after my kids for us while we were gone. So you guys kind of fell down the priority list of gifts. I'm sorry. I didn't even buy myself anything. Like, no tequila. I didn't bring anything back. Yeah, but you, okay. You had, a, you had a trip. We didn't have it. We just stayed here and manned the fort. I did, I did sports I interaction. Six games. I was two and four by the way, in my predictions, I was horrendous. So, I mean, you tried, right? I, I got to the point. I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I, I can't pick a winner. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, well, you just, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's all good. All right. Uh, before we go, by the way, uh, just uh, I, I, on a, uh, on a sad note, by the way, the Sens family, it's, it's, if you're in the Sens family, you're in it for life. And Brad Joyal was a member of the Sens community for 10 years. He was the team masseuse. I know before uh, Meth and before Craig, you guys got there, but I knew him pretty well. Actually, I just spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he passed away suddenly last week at the age of 52. Huge mm -hmm. member of the uh, Minor Hockey Coaching Association here in Canada. Uh, and he's also a business, was a business owner here in Barhaven as well. Um, so to his wife, Victoria, and their kids, Sydney, Ryder, and Piper, uh, we just want to pass along our condolences as Brad was a big part of the family and he will be missed. Um, we will see you guys on Monday. Take care. That is the Wally Mathot show for this week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.